Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. It's good to see everybody. Happy Mother's Day. We got some people out with their moms. They're not here today because they're out running around with mom. Um which I totally get. Mother's Day is a big deal. And um, you need to make sure if you haven't called your mom yet, this is the problem with being young, especially men. Young men do not appreciate their moms enough. Okay? So, so this is not just a plea to, to ignore mom, but this is, I'm, I'm saying it's probably very wise of you to start making a habit of reaching out to your mom, not just on Mother's Day, but regularly, and letting her know that you love her and that you appreciate her. The older you get, that's telling this uh, to somebody a minute ago, that um, when you get married, you begin to, to recognize, now that even I have kids, you begin to recognize all the things you forgot uh, to consider when, when you were growing up, right? And... Um, you begin to realize just how much your mom did. You know, I watch Eva, and I can see, man, my mom, single mom, all the things that she did for me, I often forgot about that stuff, neglected it, and I didn't appreciate it. So make sure that you appreciate it now. And, um, and we want to also um, acknowledge our friends who have lost their moms this year. And we pray for them. And, um, and consider them today as well. But uh, we are going to be in the Word. Look at me. This is not good. This is not a great way to start a sermon. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 20. Okay? So everybody turn there. And uh, be ready. Look, it's not hot in here this week. So you guys should be awake. Last week, I, there was people... <laughs> I, there was a, two weeks ago, I heard someone yawn so loud... I've never heard anybody yawn so loud in my whole life, let alone during a, my sermon. Like, I'd only just started. I, was, I just, I wanted to stop and say, this is just the introduction. I'm, I haven't gotten to the good part yet. Just hang with me. It'll be okay. Don't, please don't fall asleep. But um, we're in Acts chapter 20, and, and we've got a lot to cover today. So, so um, I want to start by just reminding you where we've been, Okay. Uh, we are hanging out with Paul, and Paul has gathered together the leaders from the church in Ephesus. You guys remember that? He called to them and, and had them come meet him in Miletus, and uh, they're hanging out, and what he's doing is he's presenting them with kind of a farewell speech, like, hey, I'm, I'm probably not ever going to see you again, guys, and, uh, and there's some things I want to say to you. And the very first thing that we saw him do, I mean, these are people that spent time with him in ministry year after year. They saw him, uh, they saw his life, they saw it open. Uh, they saw him do ministry. They knew what, what caused Paul to laugh. They, they knew what caused him to cry. They, they knew what angered him. They saw him when he messed up. They saw him when he was victorious. And they saw his whole life. And what he did is he asked them to recollect all of those things. And he said, hey, please inspect my life and consider whether or not I lived a, a blameless life before you, whether or not my testimony was blameless before you. And so he invited them to, to inspect him. And we talked about 
how we as ministers should also be living an open life, and we should be the same in public as we are in private. And we, we took a, a, a cue from Paul, and we considered what it's like to let our life be seen by others and to live blamelessly before other people. And we thought about what that looked like. Remember the checklist. Now this week, uh, we're going to be looking uh, at, at Paul as he takes inventory of his life. As he takes inventory of his life. And... Um, let me get to the right spot in my notes. So as they inspected Paul's life, he now turns their attention to his future endeavors and what lay ahead of him. And what, what did lay ahead of him was a very, very dangerous trip to Jerusalem. And he, he, he feels like in some way he has to explain himself. And so he sits down with these leaders and he's talking to them about all these things and he's like, now look, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem and I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be be, be hard, and there's a good chance that I might not make it out. And so here's the deal. Here's the first thing that we need to understand is that Paul had a burden for Jerusalem. Have you guys noticed this? Right? We, we, know, we know that when, when Christ called Paul out of his, his old life, that he called him to the Gentiles. You guys realize that, right? Is that, that Paul's life was supposed to be devoted to Gentile peoples, not to the Jewish people, to the Gentiles. And, and we see this again in Acts chapter 22 when Paul's recollecting his life. He says that, 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 that Christ told him that if he, if he devoted much time and energy on Jerusalem, that he was going to end up probably dead. I mean, rejected at best, but things weren't going to go well for him. And so he said, look, I need you to go focus your attention on the Gentiles. They need to hear the message of the gospel. And so Paul's burden, though, never went away. Like, he, he always had a heart for the Jewish people. And so we know that from just watching his life, every time he went into a new city, where was the first place that he was going? Right? The synagogue. And, and so even though he was there to minister to Gentiles, in his mind, the best way to do that was to go into the synagogue and find, find those Jews and those, those Gentiles, the ones that, were, that looked upon Judaism favorably, to find those people first because they were already primed to have faith. And he, he really launched most of his churches that way. And so he always had this heart for the Jews. And, and like a magnet, he was drawn to Jerusalem and he couldn't help himself. So drawn, in fact, that he tells the Ephesian leaders, look, I'm headed to Jerusalem, and I have no idea what will happen to me, but it's probably not going to be great. Acts chapter 20, verse 22 says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall, be, uh, shall befall me there. So he's going there. He's, it says he's bound in the spirit. He feels compelled by the spirit. And he's going there not knowing what's going to happen to him. Now, after all, Paul did have an offering to take to Jerusalem. Remember that? He'd gathered this offering, and, and he felt obligated. Because you've got to think about it this way. Try to see it from Paul's perspective. Paul, in his past life, had been a persecutor of the Jewish people. You guys remember that, right? That, 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 that these Christians in, in Jerusalem were his enemy. The, the, the church in Jerusalem, these were the people that he despised more than anybody, and he treated them so poorly that now, and as he's living life as a Christian Jew himself, he's looking back and he's got to be thinking to himself, those, those Jewish Christians, I've done them so wrong, I feel obligated to minister to them, I feel obligated to show them an extra measure of love, and so he's got this offering and he's thinking to himself, I've got to go in person. 
I've got to go there. I've got to show my face. I need to make sure that they know and that they're reminded of how much I care for them. And so he's carrying this burden and he wants to go. And he was determined to get there by Pentecost. And Paul knew all the risks that awaited him there. The Holy Spirit had told him so. Look at verse 23. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, dwell with me. It's not like this was shocking news to him. He knew all along that the Jews would reject him. He he knew all along that if he was to go to Jerusalem, that it would be bad for him, and the Holy Spirit confirmed that. Now, as Paul considers the jail cells, which he's experienced before, right? He knows what a jail cell looks like. And as he thinks about the chains that he's been bound with before, and he thinks about the stocks, and and he thinks about the trials that might await him, I mean, I'm talking about judicial trials where he'd be put on trial, right? And the potential for death. He thinks about all of these things. And, 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 and as he thinks about them and he's rehearsing those things, he says to his Ephesian friends, but none of these things move me. I mean, Paul's just built different. None of these things move me. Now, so here's the question for us today. Is how do we get into that, that way of thinking? How does someone get there? I mean, what causes someone to go deeper, to go further, despite knowing that there will be loss along the way? What causes someone to do that? What drives the passions of a mission-minded person when everything in their life is telling them, hey, this is not worth it? What causes them to still go, to step out, to believe? Over the next few verses, Paul will show us all the ways in which he takes inventory of his life and determines that Christ is worth it, that the next step in his mission was worth all of the risk. Let's pray and then we'll get into that. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And um, God, I just want to confess that this word is like just... This passage is so impressed upon my heart, but yet I want to I admit to you, I have no, I don't know how to communicate it. There's so much to cover, and, and, and it's so powerful, and it moves so quickly that, that I know that in me, I'm going to fail to communicate it properly, and so I'm asking, Lord, would you communicate it to the hearts and the minds of the people in this room in just the way that they need to hear it. Lord, whatever it is that they're dealing with, whatever it is that they're contemplating, wherever it is that they stand before you, the Lord, they'd be able to see it with, with spiritual eyes that as they take inventory of their lives that they would know exactly whether or not they've counted the cost before you, whether or not they've considered all the things and still able to say to themselves, my life is nothing and your life is everything. And so, Lord, help them, help them to to take stock, to audit themselves right now and draw the conclusions that you want them to draw, to to discover the outcomes and make the decisions that you want them to have. Lord, I'm asking this with everything that I have. Lord, please be glorified here today. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in high school, I worked at Hen House. I don't think there is a Hen House anymore. Are all the Hen Houses gone? Where's the hen house? Oh, there's one in Mission. It was always kind of a bougie grocery store. So yeah, there's one in Mission, of course. But I, I was a stalker 
Not like, not like, a, like a stalker. Okay, like I wasn't like hired by Hinhouse to creep around the aisles and um, but though they did hire employees that were both stalkers and stalkers. I, that, the, the, the personnel at a grocery store is very mixed. Let's put, let's put it that way. Uh, no, but my primary job was to put stuff on the shelves and eat Oreo cookies all day long. Like, that's what I did, is I roamed around in the back with a bag of Oreo cookies. I looked at, like, all the stuff on the shelves. I'm like, I'm going to take this stuff, and I'm going to slowly... Very slowly, I was in high school and fairly lazy. I will slowly stock the shelves today. And so you get your little cart. Have you seen the guys with the cart in the aisles? And they're like f- turning everything so the labels are out. Like that was what I did. And um, now once a, once a week at a minimum, uh, I was a part of the, all of the stocking team that would come together and we would take inventory of what was in the back like in that little warehouse area at the back of every grocery store that seems really mysterious, and there's kind of an odor that comes from like all the rotten vegetable smells that like come out. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, no, okay, that's okay. You don't have to understand that, but it stinks back there. And you're back there, and the team is together, and someone's got a clipboard, and you're going around, and you're and you're you're counting all of the stuff. Like I've got I've got you know 170 cans of cans of like uh, you know cranberry sauce here. And you, do, you, you count everything just to make sure what you have, because you use those numbers to determine what you do in terms of displays. Like, you know, are we going to make a display? They call them end caps, like the end of the aisle. And you get this, you're like, okay, we've got a lot of this. Cran- no one wants any of this cranberry stuff, so we've got to unload it somehow. Should we put it on sale? And they'd be like, yeah, let's sell it for 99 cents or whatever. You know, it's $1.08 usually. Like, let's give them a real deal. Let's sell them for 99 cents. Or, you know, and they make these decisions and, like, uh, and so we would take stock because we made decisions based on what our inventory looked like, right? And in the same exact way, Paul is looking at his life here in the next few verses, and he's taking inventory of his life in order to make decisions about what he's going to do tomorrow. A personal inventory helps you know where you stand and what decisions you need to make as it concerns the missions, uh, as it concerns the mission. And so we need, as individuals, as Christians, we need to take personal inventory all the time. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you took a personal inventory. You looked at your life and you said, look, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that things in my life are just not right. I know that I need to repent. I need to turn to Jesus. I believe in him. And so as you take inventory, you make a decision about following Jesus Christ. You counted the cost, and then you make a decision based on that need. Does that make sense? And so we as believers need to continue to do that. That's not a once-in-a-lifetime thing. That's something that you need to do every single day. day. And the reason that Paul can say to himself, they're probably going to throw me in prison when I get to Jerusalem, but none of these things move me, is because he's counted the cost and is fully aware, aware of what he's giving up in order to move forward. You understand? He has a full understanding. He's fully aware of what it's going to cost him and what he might lose. And based on that decision, based on the worst case scenario, he makes a decision that it's all worth it to proceed. And as we look at Paul's personal inventory, what we'll see is that Paul looks at his life from several different angles. In other words, he puts on different hats. Okay, as he's looking at his life and he's considering it from several different angles and he's going to look at that and we're going to, we're going to need to do the exact same thing. So, so when we look at Paul's life, he is our example after all. 
And just as we looked at his life being inspected, we need to watch him as he takes personal inventory because we need to imitate what he is doing here on a daily basis as we move forward in faith, as we're making considerations about our faith every single day, whether or not to engage this person, whether or not to accept this ministry responsibility, whether or not to do this or that, make these decisions. We've got to be taking personal inventory as we step out in faith. And I'll explain why that's so important as we continue on. So the very first thing we see Paul do, and you got to stay with me, you got to be ready to take notes because we're going to move fast here. The very first thing he says to himself is, I am an accountant. I am an accountant. In order to take proper inventory, Paul says to himself, I, I am a spiritual accountant, and I'm looking at all the assets in my life and considering the value of every single one of those things, and I'm comparing my past, the things that I've accrued, the things that I've uh, 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 received or, or gained over the years. I'm looking at all those things, and I'm using that information, those assets, as a way of looking forward and considering what I will do in the future. An asset is something you have or or own that has an exchange of value. So I own a 2005 Mazda 5, okay, that I have not sold yet, okay? And Kelly Blue Book tells me that the value of that vehicle is $2,500. And so when when I get around to posting it on Craigslist or whatever it is that people do now, I will say, I'm selling this vehicle for $2,500, okay? And I will be very happy if I can get that. But that's how, you, that's how you look at your assets and you consider what is something worth, right? And as Paul put on his accounting hat and took inventory of his life, the very first thing that he concluded was this. L- listen, this is very important. He says, neither count I my life dear unto myself. See, in in Paul's spiritual economy, he had determined that everything his life was worth, everything, was worth less than the mission that stood before him. Everything in his life that 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 he took account of, that he considered the value of, he looked at it as a whole and he said to himself that everything I see is worth less than what's being offered to me if I simply step out in faith. Step out into the unknown. He had no idea what awaited him. But he knew the potential value of the investment. And it was worth it to him. Now here's the question. When you look at your own life, sometimes it's really difficult to consider what your life is worth. Right? When you consider yourself and you think about, okay, who am I? And what is my life worth? It's hard to do that. I mean, a lot of times we think very lowly of ourselves, or we we look at ourselves and we we inflate the value of ourselves if we're proud or arrogant, which many of us are. But, but when we look at our life, we have to have a way of considering what it means to understand what we're worth. And so let's talk about briefly, what are the ways in which we measure our own value? And the very first thing I would say is that we consider our material worth is usually the very first thing, right? Like that's the most uh, front-facing thing is what our material worth is. What you've accrued financially over time. Your cash, how much you got in your savings account. What do you, what do you have in your, your checking account? Tangible assets, like whether or not you own your house, the value of things, your car, right? What's my car worth? I, you know, I own a Nintendo Switch. What's that worth on, the, on eBay or whatever? Like, what do, you, what do you have and what's it worth? 
Even when you think about the profit, uh, the profit of these things, you think about the hard work that you've invested over time. Okay, I, once upon a time, I worked at Hen House. I saved money. Okay, I had a car. I owned things. I slowly, over time, I, I, uh, I upgraded these things over time as I worked hard, as I worked for things, I earned things, I, I saved money, and, and now I've got a house, and it's always breaking, and I've got to invest money in that, and what I have vested, and what's the, what's the house actually worth versus what I'm investing on the everything that I'm spending money on, okay? And you look at your life, and you look at the tangible things, the things that you own, or the things that you've earned, and you say to yourself, well, what's my material worth? And you can take account of that probably right now. I mean, at your age, you could probably take you about three minutes to think about your material value, right? Okay, don't worry, that'll change over time, but, but I'm just saying. And then the next thing you might think to yourself is, what, what am I worth in terms of my relationships? What, what's my relational worth? What you have invested in relationships with friends and family, well-established, emotional, and heartfelt connections that you have to people. And I want to say, look, these things are very hard to measure. They're immeasurable, aren't they? Like, I mean, some, like we were talking about moms. Like, you don't know what you have in those relationships, right? Lots invested from birth, I mean, they've got stuff invested in you, you've got stuff, and there's, so there's relational worth that we have with people that, that's, that's very difficult to measure. Paul had that too. Paul had all these relationships, these people in his life, the people in Ephesus, the people in different places that he'd, he'd come to know and to serve with, that he'd given his life for. I mean, you think about what happened in Lystra, and you think about what he's endured and what he's gone through for people, and he had a lot invested and it was really impossible to measure, but he still did his best. He looked at these things. He's talking to his friends from Ephesus, and he's looking at them, and he's saying, look, it's still, it's still worth it for me to go over there. And then what about self-worth? That would be the third thing. What, what have you invested in you? You've probably got a lot invested in you. You're busy every day investing in you. The amount of time and energy invested in academics, your own personal health, Personal hygiene, for those of you who have it. Your beauty, beautifying yourself, making sure that your hair looks nice, your clothes look nice. Eating food is something we do every day to take care of ourselves, right? Sustenance. Chipotle. How much have you got invested in Chipotle? Think about that, right? You know, feeding your belly. And you've made very serious investments in you over the years, haven't you? Time, energy, I mean, school, a lot of you are graduating. Think about all the time and energy you've put into school. It's a lot you've got invested in you. Hard to give that stuff up. Hard to say no to that. Hard to say no to relationships. Hard, hard to say no to things that we've, we've poured our lives into. But as the accountant of your life, the question always is, are you willing to sacrifice such things in order to obey God and live his mission? You see, none of these things are bad. Material worth is not bad. Relational worth is not bad. Self-worth is not bad. None of these things are bad. All of the assets we've mentioned are completely reasonable. In fact, the unreasonable thing appears to me to be Paul's conclusion here. To risk it all. To seemingly throw it away. 
His conclusion, neither count I my life dear unto myself, seems completely unreasonable and and irrational. But as Paul plays the accountant, he concludes the following. And this is, we're going to frame these in terms of decisions. Decision number one. Decision number one. I find no value outside of Christ. When you, when you take stock, when you take inventory of the things in your life, the things that you think have value, you play the accountant. The conclusion that you have to draw as a Christian, ultimately, is that none of those things mean anything in light of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. We have to make that decision. There's a consequence for not making that decision. There's an unfulfilled Christian life that's waiting for you, completely unfulfilled, completely void of any real spiritual meaning. It's waiting for you. Unless you decide this. See, no one ever said that following Christ would be reasonable. At least not in a worldly sense. Romans 12.1 says, Beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What this is telling me is that sacrificing my life in a spiritual economy is absolutely reasonable. It's absolutely reasonable. Paul's accounting isn't reasonable to the world, but it's reasonable in light of Jesus and how good he is. And how wonderful he is. And what he gave for you. I mean, sometimes when I think about it, when I think about the value of what Christ did, I think about... I think about, personally, the sky growing completely dark midday and the veil of the temple being rent and the thunder and the lightning and the pain endured by, by the Father in heaven and what it cost him. For our souls. It has immeasurable worth. And all of our measly things that every single day we're investing in, you know, and even the things that are good, our family, our spouses, our relationships, our friends, all of these things, listen to me, in light of Christ, in light of Christ, they're they're nothing. Philippians 3.8 says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. Pretty powerful. So I'm an accountant. You're an accountant. And this is, as an accountant, this is the conclusion that we should draw. Next, I'm a runner. I am a runner. That's what Paul says. He's a runner. When Paul saw himself in terms of an athlete, a runner, and when considering his life, he knew that if he was going to run this race called Christianity, he was going to run it in a way that looked like winning. He wanted to win. He says so much in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Know ye not that they which win a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. 
I mean, honestly, let's be honest with ourselves. Why would you run unless you wanted to win? Right? Like, why even do it? I mean, some of y'all haven't run in years. Right? But if you wanted to win something, that would be the motivation, wouldn't it? To, to get out there and to start running. I mean, literally, guys, listen. Folks pee themselves running. You know that, right? Do you guys, is this a shock to anybody? People that run and take running seriously, like your friends in high school, you don't know this about them, but they, if they were on the cross-country team, there's like a 93% chance that they peed themselves at some point while they were running. Right? That's, like, that's serious devotion. I mean, at the point that you, you're pissing yourself, like, that's real commitment. Yeah? I think so. <clears throat> but Paul was a runner, and he was fully committed to, to winning the race. That's why he ran, is because he wanted to win. So when Paul says to the Ephesian leaders that his life isn't dear to him, he says it because of the following statement. So that he might finish his course with joy. He's saying, I'm not playing at this thing. If I'm going to run this race, I'm going to run it with everything that I've got. Everything I got. Because why else run? I mean, there's, so, there's too many Christians that are walking in the race. You know, they're not interested in winning anything. Because they have no ambition, no spiritual ambition. They don't have any eternal thoughts in their entire body. They're not thinking about souls. They're thinking about them. Because they haven't done the accounting and they don't see themselves as a runner. Maybe they see themselves as a walker. Like the, like the ladies at the mall. We don't have malls anymore, I don't think. Do we have any more malls? There's very few. But if you go inside of a mall, which may never happen again, <laughs> there will be old ladies in there. And they are convinced that they're running. But they're not. They're just walking really fast. Just saying. And there's a lot of Christians doing that. You don't win a race that way. You know, runners generally risk, like serious runners, they generally risk everything. I don't know if you've ever seen, like if you've ever watched a marathon, but there's always these people, they always show the footage, it always finds its way onto the internet. The people that, that, that wobble across the finish line, have you seen these folks? Their, their bodies basically has lost all nutrition and there's no, there's no energy left to run on. They call it bonking. Did you know that? I didn't know that. John had to tell me. John Kindler, because he's a runner. He's like, yeah, they call that bonking, which is like the word. That sounds awful. <laughs> but so, so, you know, you've seen them. When they run, they start wobbling and they have no energy left. And then what happens is that someone, someone has to help them across the finish line or sometimes you'll see them crawl. And you think about that in spiritual terms. That's determination. That's a person who wants to, to finish the course with joy because they know that some people don't finish the course with joy. For Paul, joy is making sure that when he looks back on his race, he can't say to himself, well, you know, I, I could have I, I done that third mission trip differently. Or, you know, I, I, I could have gone here and I didn't. 
There were people that needed the gospel, and I saw it, and I refused to go. I didn't take the risk. He didn't want to finish his race looking back over his shoulder and saying, I could have done it different. I could have done it better. Which leads us to the next decision that he makes. As he considers himself a runner and he looks at the race set before him, he determines the following. Decision number two. I refuse to live with spiritual regret. I refuse to live with spiritual regret. I I refuse to look back on my life and say, I wasted the last year. I wasted the last week. I wasted the last 24 hours. I did nothing for the name of Jesus Christ. I didn't run my life well. He doesn't want to live with regrets, and neither should we. You know, I, uh, I, I, I ran um, long distance on the track team in high school. And uh, it was my senior year. And I wasn't the fastest guy, but I was pretty fast. I was okay. And we had just done the beginning of the season. We'd, we'd done all the training. You know, when like, everybody's like, getting back into shape. We'd done all the training, and it was time for the track meets to start up. And that's where all the real fun is at the track meets anyway, because that's where all the honeys are. And um, the practicing part's awful, right? So, so I had done all the hard stuff, and then late one night, I'm walking around. You know, I'm a dumb kid. I'm like going to the restroom at like 2 in the morning, and I'm like, it's dark, and I'm not turning any lights on. I'm just finally, and I kicked the side of a table, and I broke my toe. Okay, now, I could have probably, like, it wasn't real bad. It was probably a fracture. It was swollen. If I would have given it a couple weeks, I'd have probably been okay, but nah. So I went to practice the next day. I was like, coach, I'm, I have gangrene, <laughs> and I will not be able to run this year, so I'm actually going to, I'm not, I'm not going to run this year. I'm sorry. I, know, I mean, I know you really needed me and everything. And he was like, okay, peace. Like, he wasn't concerned at all. He's like, oh, well, you didn't bring much to the table anyway. Uh, but the point was that I never even got to run the race because I, I had an excuse. I ultimately had an excuse for, for why. And I'm talking, like, I look back on that, and I regret that. And that's stupid. Like, I look back at my life. I'm like, I, sh- I should have stuck it out. I didn't have enough resolve. I wanted to have a fun senior year or whatever. I don't know what I was thinking at the time, but I, I, was, I had a quick excuse to get out. This is the way we live our lives, even here in Kaya. Think about LFBI, just as one example. Do you have any regrets in that arena? <laughs> Some of you do. Some of you should. But just think about all the little spiritual opportunities that God's given you. You look back on your life. You look back on the day and you say, man, look at what I wasted. I have regret. But listen to me. If you you consider yourself a runner and you consider yourself running for a prize, for a purpose, to win, and that that you refuse in your mind, I refuse to look back and say to myself, man, I, I didn't even try. Who wants to live that way? Three, three, I'm a steward, I'm a steward. And by steward, we mean attendant, a custodian, a custodian, someone, someone that, that that's pro, their primary responsibility is to oversee something that belongs to someone else. They're the custodian. Their, their job is to be responsible for something that belongs to someone else. And Paul believed that he was the steward of what Jesus Christ extended to, extended him. And as a steward, 
The ministry he was blessed to serve was literally given to him by the hand of Jesus Christ. Listen how he says it. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. Have you, have you ever been given a gift? There's like a difference between the gift that, um, that you get from like a, a, you know, a friend at a birthday party when you're six versus like a really powerful gift that your grandmother gave you that was like heartfelt and sentimental. You know that there's a difference in the types of gift extend, gifts extended to us. Right? You guys know that, right? And you've probably got gifts in your life that you, you, you will hold on to, things that people gave you hold on to forever. Right? You'll keep it. It's a keepsake. It's something. It's, a, it's monumental. It's precious to you. And the, the ministry that we've received of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important gift you've ever received outside of your salvation. The responsibilities of the ministry were so great a privilege to Paul. That the honor of being counted worthy was more than enough to inform his perspective. See, certainly Paul would have been familiar with the parable of the talents. You guys know that story? About the young servant who instead of investing what, what his Lord had given to him, he buried it away and sat on it. Didn't make any investment with it whatsoever. And when the Lord came back, the master came back, looked and said, man, you were disobedient. So I'm, t- I'm taking your money and I'm giving it to somebody who will actually be responsible for it. Or he would have been familiar with the parable of the unjust steward in Luke 16. He knew, Paul knew, that whatever resource had been handed to him had to be handled with care and responsibility because he knew who it came from. He knew who the master of his life was. And so he looks at his life and he says to himself, as a steward... As a person who's been entrusted, as a custodian of these gifts, I know they don't belong to me. I know that I'm just here to to, to take care of them for a short season. He concludes the following, decision number three. My ministry and purpose is not mine. It is a gracious loan. Have Have you ever loaned anything out before? Like to a friend? Like a book? I'm saying that right now because I know some of you have books of mine. I've loaned to you. I'm looking at you wherever you are. You've loaned them a book, right? You've loaned them an outfit. I've no, I don't think I've ever loaned anyone an outfit, but I think girls do that maybe sometimes. I don't know. Maybe some of you boys are into that, sharing outfits. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not tr- I mean, I just really don't know. Um, uh, loan DVDs. Anybody ever loaned a DVD? Do you guys know what those are? I used to loan DVDs. I had quite the DVD collection. In fact, I still have it. It's covered in dust down in my basement. Who does DVDs? Like, I've got all these DVDs. Hundreds and hundreds of dollars wasted, okay, on these DVDs. Like, there'll literally be a DVD down in the basement, and even I will be on Amazon. And instead of going to look for that movie, we'll be like, should we just buy it again? <laughs> it's so awful. So I got this story. When John was in the chariot, uh, John was always borrowing my stuff, right, to take with him on tour. Okay, now he, uh, he borrowed the first season of, re- you, guys know, you guys know my friend, I've referenced John a couple times now, John Kindler, he goes to church here. Um, I, I borrowed him, the, I let him borrow the first season of Arrested Development, okay, so when he was on tour, he, was, he wanted to watch it, he was, he, he was about it, and he wanted to borrow it, and he came back from tour, 
Okay, and the case that the DVDs were held in were like bent, like the case was like this, like a banana shape. I didn't even understand how he did it. Like he must have used it as a pillow the entire tour. How does that even happen? I didn't even, I didn't even understand it. I'm like, bro, what is this? And he's like, oh man, you care about stuff like that too much. Which is the, ex which is the excuse of every person who's completely irresponsible. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. My bad. I'm sorry that this thing that belongs to me that you seemingly ruined, it's my, I had expectations that were false, apparently. <laughs> no, you expect that when you loan stuff out, that's going to come back to you in the shape that it's in, uh, that it was in when it left, or, or, or come back better than it was before. And You know, you think about the spiritual responsibilities that God has given you in terms of ministry, spiritual gifts that he's extended to you. Think about who he's made you to be as a person. The people that God has put in your life to minister to. See, none of these things are yours. None of it. It all belongs to him. And when we as Christians act as though we've earned the spiritual blessings around us, this is the moment when we, when we get entitled about the things that we have or who we think we are in ministry, in life. This is the moment that we begin to unnecessarily safeguard it, hoard it, shield it, neglect it, take it for granted, take pride in it, show it off. These are all things that we do with ourselves, with our ministry. We get proud, we get neglectful, we get, you know. And these are things that God gave to you, gave to you to steward. And you treat it like it's just another piece of trash in your collection, or, or maybe you put it on a pedestal. And you show it off like it belonged, like you earned it. See, this kind of Christian will never have the faith to take the next step. You know why? Because they're too busy protecting what they're convinced they earned. You know, as a, going back to the runner thing, you know, a runner has a running wall, right? You know, like... Runners that are training, there's, they have a wall that they have to get past. Like, I can't get any better in this area. It just seems like at this certain point when I'm running, right, at this certain mile marker or whatever it might be, I just can't get past that wall. It's really difficult to train past that. You know, in faith, we have walls, too. We, we develop a certain, you know, you did discipleship and you did D2, but that next step, that next step, that's just harder. And I'm, I don't think I'm willing to count the cost of that thing. I'm not ready to do that. Or, or whatever that next step is. Like, like I, I know that God's calling me to be a missionary, but I'm going to drag my feet. I'm going to drag my feet to prepare. I'm going to drag my feet to go. I, I don't want to go. I've, I've got, and you come up with these reasons why you can't take the next step. And see, the reason that we do that, the problem with that, the only reason we would ever do that it's because for a moment, for a moment when we were considering it, we thought to ourselves, well, this is mine anyway, right? But it's not. It's not your life. It's not your ministry. It's not even your breath. And you think you're going to do whatever you want with it? No, that's not how it works. No, my ministry and purpose is not mine. It's, it's on gracious loan to me. Fourth, I am a witness. I am a witness. As Paul took inventory of his life, he stopped to consider his role as a witness. As a steward, his primary responsibility was to be a witness. 
Okay, so when he's thinking about his stewardship and he's thinking about his ministry, what Paul thinks about is that that means that he opens his mouth to testify of the goodness of God everywhere he goes. What do we already say about Paul? Is that everywhere he went on his mouth, it was repent and believe, repent and believe. And he knew that his stewardship included speaking out. Witnessing was his occupation. This is what he says. That he was to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And I think we often take for granted this term testify. I love the word testify. Sounds very like like black church choir testify, right? I think we think about it and we're like, you know. But no, listen to me. This word is a powerful word. Okay, so don't relegate it to some sort of caricature. Think about the word testify. So as you know, I am a, a crime podcast aficionado. I'm a junkie. I'm a crime junkie, all right? I'll say it with some degree of shame. I say that even I will like, hey, did you listen? To, did you listen today to the new? It's so lame, guys. But this is what happens to you when you get old. You get old, and you're on the treadmill walking like the old lady at the mall, and you're listening to your podcast. You know, I've heard story after story on these podcasts of people who are witnesses of some sort of crime that refuse to testify out of fear of retribution, right? That's, that's always like a twist in the story. Like they were so scared to say anything that even though they told the police what happened, when it came time for trial, they refused to testify because they were afraid that the mob was going to kill them. And you're like, whoa, yeah. Or you think to yourself, like, <laughs> like you judge them. You're like, oh, <sighs> you're not going to testify because of the mob? Please. Like, it's so easy to be judgmental in these things. Like, but listen to me. If you don't, in, in these situations, right, like if this person doesn't choose to testify at the trial, then they put the lives of many other people at risk. As long as that guy is allowed to continue to, to, to function criminally, if they don't testify, if they don't speak out, then they're permitting that person to go on tomorrow and the next day and the next day, continuing to act out. And they're risking that other people might suffer the same fate that they did. Listen to me. It's your responsibility to testify of the gospel of grace. It's, it's our responsibility to be a witness of what he has done in our lives. Why? Because if we don't testify, many people will be at risk of being separated from Jesus Christ for eternity. If you don't testify, who will? If you're not a witness, if you don't speak your witness, if you don't speak your story of how Jesus Christ saved you from sin and set you free, if you don't speak that, who will? And you put at risk every life around you to be deceived by Satan and to potentially spend eternity separated from Jesus Christ because you won't testify. It's our responsibility and so Paul, as Paul's taking inventory and he's looking at this perspective of what it means to be a witness, he determines the following. Decision number four. My only objective is to share Christ. My only objective is to share Christ. 
So whether I stay or whether I go, whether I do this or whether I do that, whether I decide to stay here or go to Jerusalem, ultimately, that decision has to be informed by the inventory that I take that says, I am supposed to speak and testify of the goodness of Jesus Christ everywhere that I go. That's what I'm supposed to do. And my decision has to be informed by that. Paul reminded the Corinthians of his witness, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. And we've, we've shared this verse before. But I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. But listen how it goes on. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That's why I spoke. Not to be heard, not to be known, not to be seen, not because I sounded good, not because it was going to be awesome for me, but I spoke because I wanted you to thrive in your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why I spoke. 1 Corinthians 15.1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye, keep, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's what Paul did. That was what his job was. That's what his stewardship was, was to be a witness. It informed every decision. Some of you, listen to me, the point here is this. Some of you don't allow the decisions in your life to be informed by the fact that you are a witness. Do you understand? You're not taking stock of those things. When you make decisions about where you go to school or where you move to or where you live at and all these big decisions in your life, you're not thinking about the very first thing that I'm supposed to think about is that I'm a witness. And how does my decision impact my witness? The fifth and last thing, I'm a pioneer. Here we see Paul taking inventory of his life in terms of being a pioneer willing to go places that other people hadn't gone, willing to speak a message that many others were afraid to speak. Verse 25 says this, and now, behold, he's asking them to consider again, the, these Ephesian leaders. Behold, I, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Why? Because he's got to go blaze another trail. Wherefore, I take no record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. Listen, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. In other words, what he's saying to them is, look, I came to you from another place. I came here to blaze a trail. I came here as a pioneer. I came here to do the hard work. I came here to till the ground. I came here to establish a work where no one else had gone. I did that. I chose to be a pioneer. Paul was the very first person to blaze the trails of the gospel throughout Asia Minor, preaching the kingdom of God. See, the thing about being a pioneer is this. Pioneers always work the hardest. They always do. The first one always works the hardest. They suffer the most. And they're the most open to defamation. That's true. For every person who says, I'm going to be the first. 
I'm going to go. That's true in your family. Listen to me. That's true in your family. That's true on your school campus. That's true in your workplace. And that is true whether or not you're going to Vietnam. It is true. If you choose to be a pioneer, if you choose to go places that other people haven't gone, other people won't go, other people are afraid to go, you will suffer. It will be difficult. It will be hard. And people will hate you for it. It's true. See, Paul found difficulty everywhere he went. It was true in Cyprus. It was true in Antioch, Pisidia. It was true in Lystra. It was true in Philippi. It was true in Thessalonica, in Athens, and in Corinth, and now in Ephesus. Everywhere he blazed the trail, there was suffering and hard work ahead of him. Period. But listen, despite that, he always drew the same conclusion. 2 Corinthians 4.16 For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. It's going to be true for us too. We're going to experience these things too. As we go and we plant new Bible studies, and as we go and we plant new churches, we're going to suffer. It's going to be difficult. But that's what pioneers do. Decision number five. My objectives require I go places that others won't. My marching orders, my objectives... The things that God has given me, they require that I go places that other people won't go. David Livingston was a Scottish doctor and pioneer missionary to Africa in the mid-19th century. You may have heard of him. In an exchange of letters that he had with a missions organization, they wrote to him the following. Have you found a good road to to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. In other words, look, If you're established, have you found a road to get to where you're ministering? Because if so, we want to send some men there to help you. In reply, listen to me. I don't want you to get this. This is the hammer that hits the the nail. Livingstone replied, If you have men who will come only if there is a good road... I do not want them. I only want those who will come if there is no road. So what he's saying is, I only want the people who have truly counted the cost. That's who I want. I only want the people who have truly, truly counted the cost. And as they did the assessing, as they took the inventory of their life, as they put on all the different hats, all the different responsibilities, all the different giftings, all the different perspectives, and they looked at the the end goal, they said, I'm willing to give up everything 
to follow the man. I'm willing to give up everything that I have to follow the master in his way. I'm willing. See, ministry requires constant assessment. Every day. Every single day it requires that you look at your life and you take inventory because you, 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 you look at whether or not future risk is beneficial based on where you stand. Like, what, what do I have to lose? I look at my life. I think I've got, I've got Eva. I've got my kids. I've got my home. I've got my job. I've got all these things. And they, they, they stand here. They stand here with me. And my, my decisions impact all of those things. And so if God was to take me far away from here, I'd have to take my family. I'd have to unload my resources. I'd have to, everything about my life might change. But the same thing is exactly true if I decide to walk down to the Kansas City Art Institute this afternoon and share my testimony and give the gospel. I've got to count the cost. Every day, in every way, everywhere that I go, I've got to count the cost. I've got to count the cost. And I can only do that if I'm willing to look at my life and say, everything that I have is dung in, in light of who Jesus Christ is. It's the only way of doing it. And so the question for you is this. Worship team, go ahead and come up. The question for you is this. Have I taken inventory of my life? Have you done the math that we did today? Have you done that? Are you doing that like as a lifestyle? Have you, have you done that and are you doing that actively? Are you doing that today? Have you counted the cost today? Listen to me, guys. Listen. I know the worship team, team is coming up. Look at me. I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Everyone in this room has a faith proposition, a next step that lays before them. For Paul, it was this trip to Jerusalem. Seems kind of distant and abstract to us, but that was his thing. Now there's something in your life that God is calling you to. It's the next step. And I want you to understand this. If you don't take the time to count the cost of what you'll lose if you choose to move forward, you might resent God for what you lost. There's potential for that, for being bitter towards God. Like, oh, there's this thing that I didn't anticipate that you took from me. Oh, no, 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 no. This is what God has to say is, no, you didn't take proper inventory. No, you're right. You were supposed to go do that thing. But you weren't circumspect. You weren't wise as a serpent. You weren't discerning. And that's not my fault. I've always told you that there would be loss. I've always been very plain about that. There will be suffering along the way, and you will lose things. I've always told you that. So you don't get to be bitter at me because you failed to take inventory. It's our responsibility to look at our lives and say, all of this stuff, all of these people, all of these things that I've achieved, I could give that up. but only if you go with me. I mean, that, that should be the only stipulation. Lord, I'll go. If you go with me, I know I can. And everyone in this room has a, has a faith proposition that lays before them. And I know it's hard. It's hard to make that decision. Take the inventory and lay it at the feet of Jesus Christ and decide that he's worth it. 
And if you know you've got a decision like that today that you need to make, I want you to come forward and meet with someone and explain it to them and help them take inventory of your life and help you and pray with you to conclude and make the decisions necessary to follow Jesus Christ anywhere he takes you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it is. Lord, we want to be everything that you've asked us to be, but so often our agenda gets in the way and uh, we, we hold stuff back. We think that everything we have, it belongs to us. And, and we've just got, ev- everything gets twisted in our mind and we make, we make excuses that we don't even know we're making. Like we don't even realize it until it's too late. And so God, I pray that you would call us out right now and that we'd look at our lives, we'd take stock, we'd audit ourselves and we'd be able to set things right before you and say yes to anything that you're asking us to do. Help us, Lord. We need you. We love you. We desire to serve you. We pray it in Christ's precious name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.